This is Dateline News and Conversation. The topic tonight is China. China rising. China's been in the news an awful lot lately, and so has Russia. We're going to talk about China, its history, its background. We're going to talk about the China-Russian closer than formal allies. The relationship exceeds that. And I want my guest, he's returning, Jeff J. Brown. Jeff has lived in China for 16 years. He's written three books, one of them, China Rising. And his website is www.chinarising.puntopress, P-U-N-T-O press.com. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Always lovely to be with you, uh, Regis. You're a wonderful host, and I learn as much um, from you when we get together, um, as I hope that your fans out there learn from me about uh, what I have to talk about. There isn't, there's no doubt about it, because uh, you're, you're the only guy, uh, together with our friend Eric Arno, uh, who have been on my show talking about China. So I have a number of questions for you. These are questions that I ask myself and that people who are paying attention also ask. It's been in the news here. I don't know if it's in the news in the United States, but the U.S. has been escalating threats, sanctions, and military action on China through Taiwan. Jeff, from where you're sitting now, and you're in Normandy, France, but from where you're sitting now with your background on China, how do you interpret what the United States is doing? And would you agree that it's reckless? Well, reckless is the word um, first off, again, thank you for having me on the show. And I, I actually am very excited to uh, in, inform you that I'm actually flying back to China on May 4th. And after three years, a three year hiatus because of COVID, and I'm going to be getting my little company launched back up so I can get a business visa and go back as often as I want. So I'm really, really excited. Yeah, it is reckless. Um, but I think it is a sign of incredible desperation on the part of what I call Euranglo-land, which is basically uh, NATO, uh, Israel, Australia, New Zealand, and we can throw in um, South Korea and Japan because they're such because they're such weak, weak vassals. Of, of Washington, D.C. It is reckless. And I think it's a sign that you know, after, fi- after 500 years of raping and plundering and exterminating genocidal uh, occupation wars since the uh, 15th, uh, uh, well, since yeah, the 15th century with Columbus uh, actually, uh, going back in, in 1492, the, the West has had um, absolute total domination 
of the world's peoples and 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 the and the world's resources for the most part. And since um, we can go back as at least to 1917 with the Russian Revolution, but certainly we add to that the, the Chinese Revolution in 1949 and the development of uh, anti-imperialism uh, in what in what are the victim countries of the West who have suffered for so many centuries and have lost billions of people and trillions of dollars or in euros in, in today's currencies uh, to the West. Uh, the West now has to deal with Russia, uh, which is independent, unoccupied, China, wealthy, uh, uh, beyond measure, uh, rich, powerful, also unoccupied. The DPRK, North Korea, is a huge pain in the neck for the West because it's a, it's a thermonuclear power. Uh, and then Iran, which had their socialist Islamic revolution in 1979, Belarus, just those five countries alone, what, what I call the Asian quint, are enough to uh, scare the bejesus out of Israel uh, and the West. So they're desperate. They're, they're so totally desperate that they're willing to try to uh, beat Russia in, in, in Ukraine. It's not the Ukrainian war. It's the NATO-Russian war with the platform being the Ukraine. And they're going to try to do it in China. I mean, either, you can just see it coming. They're doing the same thing like they did with Maidan in 2014 uh, in Ukraine to, to trigger, to trigger a, res a response from China. Uh, Putin was very patient. He waited eight years. Uh, China will wait as long as it can, but it's pretty obvious that the, 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 the NATO, the Uranglo land, as I call it, um, which includes Australia and New Zealand and, and South Korea and Japan, they are, they, are, they are preparing for war against China too. And so uh, it's been such a miserable failure in, in, in Ukraine uh, you can just it's it will be even 10 times a bigger disaster in in the in the asia in the asia pacific well i've been following both of these stories uh us versus russia and it is the us versus russia using nato uh and it's no longer a proxy war they're all in there boots on the ground thousands yeah. of them it's well known and then I've been following what the United States is doing in the Asia Pacific, and it's total insanity. I mean, the United States is spread so thin now with 800 bases in some 90 countries around the world, provoking two superpowers, nuclear superpowers, mm -hmm. directly on their borders with military activity, not to mention the sanctions which are a declaration of war as well. Mm -hmm. And we, you and I both know they are desperate to maintain their domination, their hegemony of the entire world. Mm -hmm. And they see China probably close to or already surpassed them in terms of economic might. 
there's no more manufacturing in America. It's uh, most of it's taking place in China. We shipped it all over there. So the only thing they have are these sanctions, these military threats, um, and they keep escalating them. And we both agree that this is incredibly reckless. I, I uh, have been saying for years and years and years what you just said about the United States ever since the 15th century has done nothing but rape and pillage. First, continental United States, and then everything east and west. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a sordid history. It's a, it's a history of lies. And the American people, unfortunately, cannot accept that that their country is only exceptional in terms of decimating the planet, eradicating ancient cultures, and killing millions, billions of people since the beginning. So I have to ask you this now, because I'm not a student of Chinese history. You are. The United States, and we've just been talking about it, has invaded, and I, I saw this statistic somewhere before, over 500 times other countries, every almost every country in the world since 1798, the very beginning of the mm-hmm. foundation of the country, and occupying these other countries with massive military bases, multiple military bases. Has China in its history ever done anything like this, Jeff? Not on the same scale, but I would like I would like to point out, yeah, China did um, occupy northern uh, Vietnam, Anam, which is where you, we get the Nam part of Vietnam. The northern uh, half of uh, of um, Vietnam for about uh, about nine hundred years, from one hundred A.D. until almost a thousand a thousand A.D. Uh, and then uh, in the 15th century, they occupied, uh, again, uh, Vietnam for about 100 years. But this is not like, it's more like, it's more like a protectorate. It's just the, you know, the, the, the Vietnamese kept their culture, they kept their language, they kept their religion, they kept everything. Uh, it was just uh, uh, a, a, a sort of like a, a buffer for the Chinese uh, on, the, on their southern flank. I would also like to point out just how big uh, China is, and then I'll get back to Korea because uh, China had some had some presence in Korea also. But but again, compared to compared to the compared to the United States and, and, and the colonial West, it's it's nothing. But you know, China in 200 A.D. when at 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 the end of the Han Dynasty was and and that was the peak of the roman empire that was when the roman empire was at its greatest extent and china had six times as much land and nine times as many people in fact uh, uh, all through that period the china consistently had 50 percent of the world's population and uh, over 50 percent of the metropolitan uh, uh, population or city population. So the, the, the comparison also, here's this country that's massively bigger than the West. So they go to, they go, they go into North, North Korea. 
uh, and uh, again, the, the North Korea, the Korea, I'm sorry, uh, North Vietnam, the Vietnamese are still speaking Vietnamese. <laughs> they still have their religion, their culture. It's not like in the United States where, you know, they, they go in and completely wipe the people out and, 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 and make whoever's left a, a survivor in their image. Uh, the, uh, um, China, of course, big country. Uh, all during the Middle Ages, um, uh, the uh, China was a big brother to Korea. There was a city in North Korea, in what is today North Korea, that uh, on the border that the Chinese occupied for about a hundred years, uh, and then there was another. I don't have remember the dates. It's in my books, but there was another time when they occupied another city for about thirty years. Again. The Koreans speak Korean. They still have their culture. They still have everything. It was again more of just a, a more of like a, a you know a century occupation, or you know a, a military presence to to help calm to help calm that border uh, with Korea. During the during the Ming dynasties, uh, starting in the um, in the uh, 1300s. They were sick and tired of being attacked by the Central Asian tribes. Uh, they were a thorn in the side of China for hundreds of years. And these, these Central tribes, these Central Asian tribes in what is today Mongolia, Eastern Russia, you know, south of Vladivostok, uh, Kazakhstan, you know, Tajikistan, the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, Western, I'm sorry, Eastern, Eastern uh, Afghanistan. These tribes were war, warrior tribes and they were tough, man. They were really, really tough fighters, fierce warriors. They had like panzer division, uh, 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 you know, cavalry uh, that drove the Chinese nuts. During the Song Dynasty from 900 to 1200, they got so sick and tired of them and they could not defeat them. They just paid them off. They, they just said, listen, if you'll leave us alone, we'll give you so much silk and so much silver every year. And it worked, you know, for, for about for about three or four hundred years. So, so the Song Dynasty was left alone. These tribes included the Shishia, uh, the Jurchen. Uh, the uh, Zo the Zungars uh, and the Ketons and, and Keton is where the actually the word Cathay comes from like Cathay Pacific you know the, the airline Cathay the people thought that it meant China uh, and 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 of course the Mongols Genghis Khan he learned from the, these very 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 uh, incredibly military uh, 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 military tribes. And, and then, of course, Genghis Khan used their methods of, of cavalry, you know, these panzer divisions on a much larger scale and ended up conquering all of China, including the Song and, every, and, and everything else and going all the way to Europe. You know, he had the large he had the largest he had the largest empire in, in, in world history. So when the Mings, when when the when the. Uh, Mongols, the Yuan dynasty, that was basically Genghis Khan. They lasted for about 150 years. The, the Ming dynasty took over and they said, we're sick of this. So they 
they they actually expanded China's territories out to where most of because of the fall of the Mongol Empire, the, the, the Genghis Khan, it left a vacuum. And during that vacuum, because all, all the other all those other fierce tribes, Genghis Khan wiped out. And so there was a vacuum. And during that vacuum for about 100, 150 years, China spread out its borders contiguously. You know, not like uh, the United States, you know, invading Korea or Vietnam, but contiguously expanded their borders, which included uh, Outer Mongolia, what is today Outer Mongolia, north of the Amur River into Russia, because that's where, again, where all of these these fierce tribes were, uh, south of Vladivostok, eastern Kazakhstan, uh, a little bit, and then the stands, you know, Tajikistan, uh, Uzbekistan, etc. They expanded out uh, to that far, and you know what? Because they did that from about 1384 on, there were no more wars in China. There were no more wars in China. So they, but but instead of this having this Greek Roman expansionist, you know, imperial mentality that we have in the West, they stopped. They just stopped right there. They secured, they, they, they had, they had a secure border, you know, around, around, you know, greater China and they had no more wars. They were over. Uh, the Chinese during the middle ages had problems with the Japanese pirates and so they they would would go in and into a couple of ports, you know, and 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 and, and take care of some Japanese pirates. But they, the China, you have to understand that when uh, Columbus went to North America, he thought he was in China, of course. He was such a horrible sailor uh, and mariner, but he thought he was actually in China and India. But um, he. Um, Three generations before that, in the fourteen in in fourteen twenty four, Zheng He, Admiral Zheng He, went to uh, all across the Indian Ocean, Africa, the Middle East, uh, all the way down into Southeast Asia. They had they had they had huge armadas, and in the fourteen hundreds, Chinese military technology was so advanced compared to the rest of the world. And they the, the, their first flotilla, I want you to think about this. When you think about Columbus three generations later with little tiny boats, what was it, the Pina Maria and the whatever. whatever. The, first, the first flotilla of, of Zheng He in 1424 had 300 ships and it had 30,000 people. How many did Columbus have? 60 or 70? The Chinese had half the population of London at the time. London, England, on 300 boats. And they went to all the ports all around the, all in Africa, the Middle East, India, uh, Persia, all through that area and they and they went they had several more those people aren't speaking chinese those people weren't attacked 
those people weren't occupied. Those people weren't exterminated. The, the Chinese could have wiped out everything in their wake. They, they had a flotilla big enough that was bigger than most of the cities that they visited. And to this day, nothing happened. They gave them books and concubines and the Chinese, you know, they, they wanted to share science and, 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 and they wanted to share technology and astron astronomy and religion. And the Chinese gave away books and they brought princes back from all these countries that, and they took them back to China for several years. And that is, that is China compared to the Greeks who went all the way to Crimea, who expanded all the way to Crimea and exterminated everything in their wake. And then the, the Romans did the same thing. And then the Roman Catholic church did the same thing. And then the European colonials did the same thing. And then the United States and France uh, did the same thing in the Spanish and the Portuguese in North America. And then in South America, the British in Asia. The Dharampal, the, the, the famous uh, Indian thinker, philosopher, did a, did a actuarial study of India of the 300 years that the, that the, that the British were in what is what, what was considered to be, you know, the, the crown jewel, you know, India, Burma, Ceylon, Sri Lanka, uh, Pakistan, what used to be the, you know, the India, the, the colony of India. And he conservatively estimated that in 300 years, the British exterminated, genocidally exterminated 500 million locals. And he said that it could be as high as 1.5 billion. And I just read an article that from 18, from 18, I think it was like 1880 to 1920, they, they, they have shown that the British exterminated 100 million people just in that 40 year period going into the 20th century. So please don't talk to me about, oh, well, the Chinese are just the same. I, I am so tired about, of that moral equivalence because it's a lie. It is not true. The Chinese, we would be speaking Chinese today if they had the same imperial, hegemonic, ex genocidal DNA that we do in America because they could have gone all the way to Lisbon, Portugal. <laughs> I mean, nobody could have stopped them because they were so powerful, but they didn't. They stayed right there. And then the Qing dynasty, after the Mings were weak, uh, that's when the, they had their century of humiliation and the, the, the Western powers, you know, took, you know, took China and, and raped and pillaged it from 1839 and addicted everybody to opium. <clears throat> the, the, the Qing lost, lost, almost all of what the Ming gained. And then after, after Mao and the, 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 the communists took over in 1949, they settled all of their, they settled all of their border, all of their border disputes with Russia and everybody else. They re, 
went back. They ended up with 6% of what the Ming had. They gave back 94% of their land. How many, how many Americans and Europeans do that? They gave back 94% of their land that they had gained during the Ming dynasty. The only thing now that's left is there's a couple of, you know, the, the Jammu and Kashmir in um, uh, the Indian, the Indian Pakistan. And that, that is a, is a cluster fug that was created by the British to, to create this problem today. And then uh, Arunachal. So there's only a couple of places left in India and China has solved all of its, has solved all of its uh, territorial uh, disputes uh, going back hundreds of years. Wow. Um, this is what I was hoping to learn because people today, a number of people in the West and even people here in Russia are suspicious that China now has imperialistic desires and designs. And even Russia's now... When, when China and Russia have come so close together, they don't talk in terms of alliances. They talk in terms of a special relationship that goes beyond alliances. People are wondering if here in Russia, if Russia is just going to be a sidecar to China, is going to be really nothing. And they're worried that China will eventually take over. But with what little I know, and I think you just confirmed it, China has never had imperialistic designs. And so, um, all right, I, I'm, I'm glad that we, you, you put that on the table. The history of China has not been one of hegemony, has not been one of imperialism, has not been one of rape and pillage, destroying cultures. It's been about trade. It's been about, and not just in goods, but as you said, ideas and art and culture. Mm -hmm. Now, Jeff, a lot of people now, including myself, are talking about the one bridge, one road, the new Silk Road, mm -hmm. which would go from the Far East in China through Russia, uh, down through Ukraine, through the Middle East, and a land bridge all the way to Portugal. Mm -hmm. But I have argued that this is not an imperialistic design. It is all based on trade, exchange, and not only in goods, but in development. Would you agree with that? Yes, and again, let's go back into history. The original Silk Roads go back before Jesus Christ. Before Jesus Christ. And back then, during the time of Jesus Christ, in Europe, people were practically like living in, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but of course it was the Roman Empire, but I mean, it was so technologically backward. It was so infrastructurally backward compared to China. You, it, to, 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 you really have to understand how advanced China was for 5,000 freaking years compared to the rest of the world. And the only time that, the, that someone got the best of China was from 1839 to 1949 after the Opium Wars because the Qing, the Qing dynasty was weak 
and vacillating. Britain, France, and the United States, princip principally those three colonial powers, took advantage of it and raped and plundered China for 100 years. There was a bunch of, there was Sweden, and even Russia was in Dalian and at Port Arthur, and but the, nothing compared to what the, China, what the French, the, um, the uh, British, and the Americans did. The Portuguese... They, they, they were. They did not do what uh, they did not do in China. What they did in Brazil and uh, the, in, in Africa, basically Macau was a trading post, like you were talking about. So we we can't really consider Portugal for China, which is why now Macau has no problem reintegrating with 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 mainland China. In fact, it already practically is, except that it has casinos. So they keep a border there, but it's essentially now already integrated into China. So the um, uh, go uh, go back. What was your question again? I got a little bit off track. Excuse me. No, they, that they've never had imperialistic designs. It's been about trade. Oh yeah, yeah. One, one so, bridge, one road. The new yeah, Silk yeah, Road. Yeah, yeah, the new stuff. And, and go go back to go back to the Silk Roads at the times of Jesus. If China was so advanced technologically and 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 everything. Militarily, they were hundreds of years ahead of everybody. They were they had guns and rocket pro, rocket pro, propelled grenades and 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 miss you know short range missiles and you know you know machines that would you know shoot a hundred flaming arrows at a time. I mean, they were so far ahead of everybody. They were the ones that invented the stirrup on the horse. They were the ones that were that invented the, you know, the stirrup for, you know, massive horse cavalry. You know, they could have during the during the Silk Roads back during the time of Christ, the Han Dynasty unified China, and it was bigger, nine times more people and six times more land than the Roman Empire. They could have marched all the way across Asia and slaughtered everything in their sight, and they didn't do it. Because the Chinese are not, they don't have this hegemonic, imperialistic, genocidal DNA like, like the Greeks and the Romans, and then which ended up becoming the Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic Church. And then, of course, you know, the colonialists of, of Europe, and then which, you know, and their spawn, their spawn in Australia and and and, and North America. Remember, remember, the Australians wiped out, you know, practically the entire population. So they they didn't do it. They're business. They're business people. They're all about. They're all about just doing business, trading, and they're also very much into cultural exchange, scientific exchange, etc. And so. Again, we can. We don't even have to go back to Jung Hu in 1424 with his 30,000. I think it was 30,150 people on 300 ships. We can go all the way back to the Silk Roads, back to, to the time of Jesus Christ. China could have taken over the freaking world, and nobody could have stopped them. But they didn't do it. They stayed there. They took care of their people. Why did they have nine times as many people and six times as much land? Because they take care of their people. I mean, even 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 the worst emperor in Chinese history would be a hundred times better than the best Western leader. <laughs> I mean, 
and there were some bad there were some bad bad a lot of bad leaders in china a lot of them over five thousand years a lot of them but even the worst ones were better than what we get so i you know it's a whole nother it's a it's like a different planet it's like a different it's like a different world and and people and people have to understand that you cannot compare the west to china and you cannot compare china to the west it's not the same thing okay let's now talk about the uh russia china relationship uh formally declared uh, at the beijing olympics uh when putin was there and the two of them made that formal declaration and it had to do with joint policy, trade, technology, and even military exchanges. But the biggest thing, in my opinion, and I've done a few shows about this, was that both of them were committed to building a multipolar world mm -hmm. to replace the unipolar world of the American hegemon. And since that time, President Xi Jinping was just in Russia. It was an amazing, ama he spent three days there, met hours with Putin and uh, personally and his staff. Again, joint statements, individual press conferences, emphasizing that the multipolar world, the new world order is already here and it's growing exponentially. Now, Jeff, I want you to comment on this, but I also want you to comment on what they're both doing to replace the American U.S. dollar with the BRICS nations. Russia and China are both in that, and it's the BRICS plus. Who knows how many people want to, how many countries want to join this? It's the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. It's China going into the Middle East and brokering peace between uh, uh, oh Iran and Saudi Arabia. Iran and Saudi Arabia. Russia going to Saudi Arabia and making deals in oil to undermine the United States petrodollar. Jeff, from where you sit and with your background, how does this fit? because I think it fits with China's ancient designs for expanding trade, development, etc. And President Putin has been the most outspoken person on the world stage about moving to a multipolar world with the strict observance of international law, the UN Charter, the respect and sovereignty of all nations, large and small, and it's all based on everybody prospers. Jeff, talk to me about how you see this from where you're sitting. Well, it's absolutely true. You know, I uh, I don't have the exact quotes in front of me, but when Xi Jinping uh, landed uh, in Russia in Moscow, he said something to the effect that um, 
what, what they were going to work on was to develop a system where they will that where the world will 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 be run by rules that everybody recognizes and not just the rules of he i think he said something like certain you know some people which of course means you know the the washington dc london and, and and paris for the most part then there were quotes in that were coming out when he was when he said goodbye they basically during that three-day period they decided that now was the time to bring 500 years of genocide and theft to an end they are they uh, they have committed to although they're not i actually 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 <laughs> putin has said it like you said he's very outspoken but the chinese are much more confucian and much more much more diplomatic but they agreed that this was the time the, 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 now we are seeing you know the, you know the titanic you know tipping in the ocean and it's going down and they're going to do what they can to accelerate the uh, collapse of uh, again 500 years of rape plunder extermination and massive you know uh, theft then then russia came out with their secure this new security um a foreign security thing and they basically and he and they just they just laid it out i don't, I don't have the quotes in front of me it was just like we're we are going to <laughs> we're going to end american hegemony and so as long as russia and 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 I understand. I mean, China is intimidating, and I can understand why why Russia and, and of course the Russians have been attacked nonstop for a thousand years. Every like who was it? Putin said every fifty years someone tries to invade Russia. So so the Russians are historically conditioned to be suspicious of of its neighbors, and China just Vietnam. They, they, it's a love-hate relationship, and I think that's what we, we probably have, you know, and and, and uh, uh, with Korea, it's a bit of a love-hate relationship, not between DPRK and North, but South Korea and China. It, you know, it's it's huge. I mean, Vietnam is as big as one province in China. You know, South Korea is big as one tiny province in China. Russia has the same population as like two or three provinces in China. And so it's it, it China on the surface can be intimidating and I understand why that why they're worried why why they instinctively are, are worried but again you look at the history it ain't there so the um they they are they're, they're doing it they are they are actively working to bring down the what let's let's call it you know uh, the American empire what did what cause this what the 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 breach the breach in the imperial dike so to speak the breach in the imperial dam of course is ukraine because it has so it has so backfired on the west it is such a a, a massive disaster of of un, a phenomenal proportions although you won't know it in the West because of all the propaganda and the censorship and everything, but you and I know 
Russia is well is is in control. They're calling the shots. They're using the rope a dope, you know, the the Muhammad Ali rope a dope, you know, hanging back like this while while the West just exhausts itself. The Russians don't have to do anything. The NATO is going to run out of arms, and Ukraine is going to run out, run out of soldiers. So this this was the this was the Achilles heel for the West, the Ukraine, the Ukraine, uh, the war with in Ukraine, and so they're taking advantage of it. And the and then the the other thing that was just completely insane. I mean, America, the Greeks had the first sanction. That's what caused the Peloponnese War, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in, in um, what was it, 300 and something BC. The Peloponnesian War was caused in great part by sanctions because I think it was Athens blocked Sparta's port or Spar Sparta blocked, you know, Athens ports, you know. I mean, this has been going on for so Oh, freaking long, and the, and 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 then and then these. This is what the West does: sanction, 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 block, blockade. You know, boycott. You know, uh, it's and then and then if that doesn't work, invade and conquer. And so that you know, it, these insane sanctions, the thousands and thousands and thousands of sanctions that that the U.S. piled on. Russia after Ukraine after after they went into Ukraine to 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 protect their Russian the Russian people in the eastern part of the country and I predict they're going to go all the way to 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 the Hungarian and, and Polish borders, but that has caused everybody around the world to see that the that the imperial king wears no clothes. It didn't work. Nobody's nobody except. And even it, even the sanctions in, in in Europe are not working. They're still buying oil and gas, and it's it's a, it's it's like it's like a big you know Wizard of Oz kind of you know front you know to look good and powerful. India, nobody is is respecting the sanctions, and so everybody's like going, "Well, to hell with this. Let's ditch the dollar," because if 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 Uranglo-Land can steal $300 billion of Russian assets that were found, that were supposedly in Western inst institutional institutions and banks. If they can steal $300 billion of Russian assets and tell us that we can't listen to Tchaikovsky and we can't read Dostoevsky, if, if they can do that to Russia, well, all these other countries are going, we could be next. And so now that, that caused everybody around the world to go, ooh, we need to, we need to stay away from the dollar. And that's exactly what's happening. And it's very, very, very difficult to create a new SWIFT system like but Russia's done it. Russia has now tens of countries signed up for their SWIFT, you know, inter interbank, intercountry uh, wiring system. Of course, China's one of the members of that of that group. China has their SWIFT system called um, oh, I forgot the name. I, I have it uh, not Crift, but something similar to that. 
India is now trading. Brazil is now trading. They, the world, the world who has been raped and plundered for 500 years now sees that their, that their um, monster that has that has destroyed them for 500 years is now vulnerable. And everybody, Saudi Arabia, uh, everybody around the world is is trying to ditch the dollar because they don't want it up like Russia. And so that's why they're talking about a BRICS currency. That's why they're talking about doing bilateral trade. Actually, China now, I think it's up to 27 percent of, of Chinese trade now. China, China, Russia trade is is uh, is based in yuan and um uh, yuan and uh, ruble so it's happening and that is the if if that the the dollar as a as the global reserve currency is the only thing that is keeping the 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 uh, western western uh uh imperialism from collapsing if they keep eating away at the dollar and 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 the use for dollars around the world you know uh, goes down and down and down that will really hasten the collapse of, of western empire uh as we know it and unfortunately for guys like you and me if we we get paid our our social security in u.s dollars <laughs> we may be working for the rest of our lives because our dollars aren't, aren't going to be worth squat uh, it, when it does happen, but I, it, it would be worth it. We, it, it would be worth it. I, I think. What about you? Yeah. Uh, well, I agree with all of that and I have been following it all for quite some time. So I want to talk here before we run out of time. So we've got all of this war and military threats and sanctions, the war in Ukraine, the United States threatening China over Taiwan, sending military equipment, advisors, etc. How many fleets they have in the East China Sea, I don't know anymore. Um, so you have all of this going on on this level, but on the larger geopolitical level, you have what we're talking about. It, it's an erosion of the dollar. It's an exposing of the emperor who doesn't have any clothes. The only teeth he's got left uh, is military and the threat, and the threat is nuclear. Um, will those, whoever they are, whatever you want to call them, in the United States, in London, in Paris, recognize that their time is over? They will not control the future order of the world. And realizing they've lost, will they take the whole world down with them? in a nuclear Armageddon. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's the big, that's the big worry because, I mean, we have to, you know, we have to accept the fact that Western leaders for the most, for the last 3000 years have mostly, you know, they, 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 they have had and continue to have reptile brains. I mean, they, 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 they think and they act like lizards, like Komodo lizards, you know, they, they, they have absolutely zero creativity, zero imagination, zero, you know, big picture. It's just, you know, dominate and destroy. 
and control, dominate, destroying. And that's the way it's been for 3,000 years, I'm sorry to say. Well, we've had some good leaders, but for, for the most part, 95% of them have been that way. So that's the that's what really worry that's what really worries everybody is is that that Russia has <laughs> NATO's getting slaughtered you know uh, uh, in in Ukraine uh, and and then they're going to try to do the same thing <laughs> in China with Taiwan they have they have they have land supplies from NATO, which of course NATO already had all those supplies, you know, in, in Europe and, and they've wasted them all in Ukraine. And then the United States has, you know, some, some, some material in Japan and Korea, but the, the, the supply line is 11,000 kilometers from Los Angeles <laughs> and Seattle and the ports are practically broken and don't work anymore and they're going to try to you know ship arms from the west coast of the united states to taiwan 11,000 kilometers when china is is 200 mainland china is 200 kilometers from the coast of taiwan a j20 fighter jet in in china can barely get off of the off of its runway and it's already on top of Taiwan. And China has two aircraft carriers in the South China Sea. In June, they will have three. And they are all brand new. America has one, the Nimitz, and it and they have to keep it on the they have to keep it out of the 1500 kilometer range away from the United away from the coast of China because the DF uh, the DF-21D aircraft carrier killer missile will wipe out the entire what 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 the, what what there is of the of the American Navy in about two or three hours with all of their massive military mil, uh, missile missiles aircraft carrier killer missiles. China has the largest navy in the world. People don't real people just don't, they don't understand they don't know this. Oh, America! America, all of its shit, all of its, all of its aircraft carrier groups are back in the United States being repaired. They don't even have one in the Middle East anymore. They can't afford it, so they've got one in the Mediterranean, one in in the South China Sea, I think, and all the others are back in Virginia and and uh, getting repaired, and in Los Angeles getting repaired. It would be. The, a war, a war, a war. It, it, let's just say, and the only, and the only thing, the only thing that would force China to go into a hot war would be if, if Taiwan declares independence. That's the red line. I think Biden could visit Taiwan. They don't. They're, they're going to huff and puff and, you know, make some noise, you know, and 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 and, and act indignant. But it would only. They're going to avoid a hot war if at all possible. But if it, if Taiwan does declare independence, and half the people are against it. That when you don't know this, it's all censored. Poll after poll after poll in Taiwan shows that like 50 or 51 percent of the people are ready to go back with the motherland. Okay, so it's just these, it's just these vassal stooges, in, you know, that in, in the government 
that are being controlled by the United States and, and, and some hotheads in the country. The, um, it would be over in days. It wouldn't even, you know, it would not be like Ukraine. It would be over in days. There would be no U.S. Navy left in 48 or 72 hours. And China can be in Taiwan in 10 minutes. It's, it would be gone. It's, it would be over. But that's the scary part, as you said. The scary part is that the U.S. would be so desperate that they might try nuclear arms. I don't know if another thing I do want to point out is, is that if they're trying to drag South Korea into this, they're trying to drag the, the U.S. is trying to get they'll, they'll they'll get Japan. They'll get Japan into it. But they're trying to get South Korea involved in this. People don't know that China and North Korea have a mutual defense treaty going back to 1960, and they just renewed it in 2020. So if they get if they if if South Korea provides arms to attack Taiwan or any mere soldiers or whatever, that makes North Korea obliged to live up to its defense treaty with China, and all of a sudden, South Korea is going to have 1.2 million ideologically battle-hardened battle soldiers storming south of the 38th parallel, and, and North Korea has hundreds of thousands of missiles hidden in tunnels, thousands of kilometers of tunnels, so they would overrun South Korea, and then and so and 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 so then you know America's gonna, uh, America's going to lose South Korea. Can South can can America handle South trying to defend South Korea and Japan and Taiwan at the same time again <laughs> with an eleven thousand kilometer supply line? <laughs> it's just it's madness. It's freaking madness. But as Lizard brains, reptile, rep, rep, reptilian leadership, they're going to try. You mark my word, in the next five years, they're going to try. And um, all it will do will hasten the complete collapse of, of Western empire. But as you said, are they so desperate that they will maybe try to launch? And then if they do, North Korea has, has nuclear uh, 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 weapons that can not only take out the west coast of the United States, but the east coast in Washington D.C. too, and, and not and not counting China's and Russia's. And do you think? Do you honestly think that with Russia having a common border with North Korea, do you honestly think that if North Korea goes to a, is goes in to defend China by 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 defense treaty? And takes that and, and and is taking out South Korea. How long could Russia not get dragged into it? I mean, it's just it's just nuts because Russia has 12 kilometers of um, of uh, common border with North Korea. So it's just you're right, you're right, Regis. It's that that is the that would be the the hail mary that would wipe out the human race. And, but these people are so crazy, they would probably try to do it if they, 
it, it, when when it when all else fails. That's what's so sad, sad and scary about it, to be honest. Yeah, Jeff, I want to thank you very much. Uh, we have to do this again and continue to follow what's happening. Not only the aggressiveness and the recklessness of the United States and NATO against Russia, but against China over Taiwan. It's, it's very frightening, but we also have to keep track of what's going on in that larger geopolitical level, the move towards a multipolar world, mm-hmm. a, a destruction of the United States petrodollar. I think it's going to happen much sooner than five years. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll do it again real soon because we got to stay on top of this. Thank you. Please send me the uh, link. I'll download it and get it transcribed, and I'll send you the transcription. Thank you, Regis. A very humble Buddhist bow for all that you do to help educate humanity.